Okay, come on in for if you're here for class, come on in. We're going to get started. This is our 28th class. So we're going to review question 27 and then we're going to learn question 28 together. There it is. Okay, let me begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the rain that you've sent to us. Uh, thank you for this Sunday morning when we can with all your other people across the globe today worship you, pray to you, sing songs, hear the preaching of your word, and even this morning now to study your word together. Help us to grasp this truth that we'll be looking at today. We pray that it would change us, change our, our wills, our hearts for you. Give us more understanding of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, a little bit of review. Question 24, let's say it together. The question was, why was it necessary for Christ the Redeemer to die? Since death is the punishment for sin, Christ died willingly in our place to deliver us from the power and penalty of sin and bring us back to God. By His substitutionary atoning death, He alone redeems us from hell and gains for us forgiveness of sin, righteousness, and everlasting life. Question 25 is, does Christ's death mean all our sins can be forgiven? The answer is, yes, because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for our sin, God graciously imputes Christ's righteousness to us as if it were our own and will remember our sins no more. Question 26, what else does Christ's death redeem? Christ's death is the beginning of the redemption and renewal of every part of fallen creation as He powerfully directs all things for His own glory and creation's good. And that brings us to our question that we looked at last week. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? And let's give the answer once together. And then our eager students can... Sam? No. Only those who are elected by God and united to Christ by faith. Nevertheless, God in His mercy demonstrates common grace even to those who are not elect by restraining the effects of sin and enabling works of culture for human well-being. Okay. Does anybody have question 27 memorized? Miles, you think you got it? Okay, stand up. Let me ask the question. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? Good job, Miles. Oh, sorry, Miles. 
Macy, you got it too? Okay. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? There you go, buddy. Nice job, Macy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you didn't say it the first time? That's what I heard. Okay. All right, Alexander. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? Excellent. Coming in. All right, Stella, stand up. Are all people, just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ? Let's see, I want to go behind the back. No, I don't think so. Here you go, Stella. Nice job. Anyone else? Colton, you want to give it a try? All right, stand up. I'll ask the question. Are all people... Just as they were lost through Adam, saved through Christ. All right, you don't want to do it the next week, all right? I would have given it to you if you just said no. <laughs> yeah, the first time you said yeah. Good job, Colton. Good job, buddy. Okay. So that's going to bring us to question 28 today. Question 28 is what happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? So you see, that's a follow up to the question from last week where we learned that all people are not saved through Christ. So, well, what happens to those who aren't? What happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? And here's the answer. Let's say it together. At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. We've got a few scriptures and then I'm going to take a bit from the commentary that's in the New City Catechism. Well, let me give you four different references. The first one is in Matthew chapter 25, verse 46. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And it's talking about those who are unrighteous, those who are not saved through Christ. What does it say? They, these, will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let me read you from John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16, and then through verse 18, and then I'll skip down to verse 36. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. 
But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So, non-believers already condemned. There was a day we were condemned. Well, how do we go from not being con- from being condemned to not being condemned? It is belief, according to John 3, in Christ. And then verse 36 of John 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So all different ways the New Testament talks about faith in Christ. Faith in Christ, belief in Christ, the righteous, those who obey Him, those who are born again. It's all talking about the same individuals. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7-9 helps us with this question. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as do us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, this will happen one day when He comes back, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. There's another way it's talked about. Those who know God, who don't know God. And on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So that's describing the return of Jesus one day. When Jesus comes back one day, this is what it's going to be like. Let me read it again. He will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, what will happen to them? That's what this question is asking. Verse 9 of 2 Thessalonians 1. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. If we live away from God here, we'll live away from God forever. And then finally, Revelation 14, 9-11 says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These terrifying pictures. Terrifying pictures. There's nothing worse to be imagined. And that is the fate of those who do not believe. Remember, what that's telling us is that it's, it's that awful to not believe. It's that awful to not trust Jesus. It's that awful to not obey God. It's so bad, and it's so wrong, and it's so selfish, and it's so wicked that it actually deserves that terrible punishment. So let me read this again, and then I'm going to read some of the commentary. So what happens after death to those you not, not united to Christ by faith? What happens to those who don't believe the gospel, who don't stop living for themselves and start living for God? What, what happens to them? 
Well, at the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful, but just, it's right, but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. So it's like the judge taking the gavel and saying, guilty, guilty. That will happen. They will be judged and they will be found guilty. And what will the sentence be? That begins with the yellow. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. This is a little side note. This is worded very carefully. And it's worded very carefully because of something we're told in two of the verses we just read. It says that the punishment for those who do not believe is that they will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell. So there's a question, and it's whether or not God's presence exists in hell. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. Is hell just a place where God is not? Or, or is, is hell a place where God is? Where He is presiding over? Which is it? And it's a good question because we have those two verses we just read that seem to say two different things. Let me read them to you again. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. That makes sounds pretty clear, right? So in hell they will be away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. But then Revelation 14 gives us a picture and says, and He, the sinner, will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. You see the conflict? So one says away from His presence, one says in the presence, well, if we look carefully at the one, Second Thessalonians 1, 9, it says, they will be cast away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. So I think this is, this is worded right. God will not be present in the sense that He will not be favorably present. The way God is present on this earth now. The way God is present in your life. Anything good, remember, all good gifts come from God. The only reason things aren't as bad as they could possibly be on earth right now is because of God and because of His presence and because of His restraining evil and because of His grace. In hell, though He may be, it seems, present in some way, presiding over what is taking place, there will be no mercy, there will be no grace, there will be no restraint. Imagine a place where there is nothing good, only evil all the time. The opposite of heaven. So that's why it's worded this way. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like and what his presence would be like, would not be like in hell. The Bible doesn't say a lot about it, but that's clear. It will be cast out. It will be away from his favorable presence. I think a couple of the commentators speak to it too. So J.C. Ryle, uh, a pastor from the 1800s in England, he said, Painful as the subject of hell is, it is one about which I dare not, cannot, must not be silent. Who would desire to speak of hellfire if God had not spoken of it? Nobody wants to talk about hell. I don't want to talk about hell. I don't enjoy talking about hell. It, it terrifies me, even though I know I'm not going there. 
It makes me fearful for people I know that aren't believers. Uh, it makes me sad to think about all the non-Christians in the world today. It terrifies me to think that one of my children might grow up and not follow Jesus and go to hell. I mean, that's just... So I don't want to think about hell. I really don't. I don't want to talk about it. And we wouldn't if the Bible didn't clearly teach about it. And in fact, you know and have heard who talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus. Jesus. And everybody knows that Jesus is loving. He loves people. He loves people. He came to love the world. But as we'll see, if you're going to love someone, you need to tell them where they're headed apart from Christ. It's not loving to hide that from them. I know, Ryle goes on, I know that some do not believe there is any hell at all. They think it impossible there could be such a place. It's inconsistent with the mercy of God. It's too awful an idea to be really true. The devil, of course, rejoices in those kinds of views. They help his kingdom mightily. They are preaching up his old favorite doctrine. Ye shall surely not die. That's what he said in the garden with Adam and Eve. He said it's not that big a deal. Eat the fruit. God was not telling the truth. You're not going to die. He's doing the same thing now. There's no such thing as hell. It's not that bad. It's no big deal. God's just trying to keep you from doing what you want to do and having a good life and having fun. It's the same lie. So it's important that we remember, no, there is a hell. And there will be people there. And it could be you. And it could be me, if not for Jesus Christ. There is but one point to be settled. What says the word of God? Do you believe the Bible? Then depend upon it. Hell is real and true. It is as true as heaven. There is not a fact or doctrine which you may not lawfully doubt if you doubt hell. Disbelieve hell and you unscrew, unsettle, and unpin everything in Scripture. You may as well throw your Bible aside at once. From no hell to no God, there is but a series of steps. In other words, the, the doc, there are some doctrines in the Bible that are less clear than others, for sure. There are some things the Bible teaches about that are less clear than others. Hell is not one of them. It is made explicitly clear in the Bible. The other commentator, John Lynn, goes on to identify what historically we have seen is very clear about hell. It is real, it is conscious, and it is eternal. He says, people have had discomfort about the idea of hell throughout history because on the surface it seems inconsistent with everything we read in the Bible about God's mercy and love. And then he goes on and makes these points. I'm not going to read everything he said. I'm just going to give you the, the points that he makes. I think they're really helpful. First, Jesus, I already said this, the most loving man who ever lived spoke about hell more frequently and vividly than all other biblical authors combined. Second, the existence of hell helps us to understand the consequences of sin. In some ways, hell is the outworking of what we as sinful people have always wanted, autonomy and independence from God. I've said that before, that when God sends someone to hell, he's ultimately giving them what they want. And I do think that's true. Someone who wants to have nothing to do with God, wants to live away from God, 
does not want to serve God, does not want to follow God, does not love God, does not worship God. Okay, God says in the end. Gives them exactly what they want. A place where they are no longer obligated to worship and love Him. Hell. A place where He is not. A place where He is, is, is not calling them to repentance. That's what hell is. Until we acknowledge the reality of hell, we cannot truly understand the meaning of the cross. That's his third point, and he says his most important point. God's wrath is settled, controlled, opposition and hatred of anything that is destroying what he loves. That's what sin does. That's what Christ became on the cross, which is why God poured out his wrath. Well, we try to make God more loving by diminishing the reality of hell and God's wrath. A lot of people do that. All we've really done is diminish the love of God. Without a real hell, we can't understand the real price that Jesus paid for our sin. And without a real price that was paid, there is no real love, there is no real grace, and there is no real praise for what He has done. And in closing, He says this, the real issue is not how a loving God would allow there to be a hell. The issue is, if Jesus Christ would experience hell for me, then truly, He must be a loving God. It's not, why would God allow hell? It is, why would God experience hell for me? And yet He did. This points us to the good news of the Gospel. So let's say it one more time, and then I'll pray. Let me ask the question. Question 28, what happens after death to those not united to Christ by faith? At the day of judgment, they will receive the fearful but just sentence of condemnation pronounced against them. They will be cast out from the favorable presence of God into hell to be justly and grievously punished forever. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, if there is anyone here, including myself, that is not thinking about hell rightly, that is dismissing it or downplaying it, I pray that you would bring us conviction, that you would remind us of this terrifying, eternal punishment that awaits those who do not follow you who do not love you, who do not place their faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your Son to die in our place, to, to take, to endure your wrath. We should be the ones punished. We should be the ones cast away from your presence. And yet Jesus was in our place. And so we trust Him, we love Him, and we follow Him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.